sitting on the bench listening to people talking behind me, listening to this community. And knowing that community is that together with all one. Together as one. We are one. Knowing that word means we are all one. But that this community and this community as one is one with the one, which is everything. God is all there is. Love is all there is. This community is all there is. Interwoven, inseparable from the one. In love. That is the magical binding. And it's a good binding. It holds us together. Very lovely. And I know this. I know that together we can act for the good. We do act as the good. We are the good. It's, no even, it's not even an act. It is good. And I'm very grateful to know that today, every day, always, I stay off the hose. I let good flow through me. I let love flow through me. I suggest you try it. It's good. Feel that love. Feel that heartbeat that is God. And be grateful, as I am so grateful, to know this, to feel this. It's the, it's the connection I have with spirit, this gratitude that all is well. And in gratitude, I let this go knowing that I will hear, each of us will hear just the right thing. It may take a while to recognize it. And I will always feel, because I choose to, the love. And so I release this. And so it is. Today's our last um, in the series for this month of looking at what is the common good. Exploring the idea, what is the common good, and and uh, and our oneness, and there's a difference between oneness and sameness. Between oneness and sameness, so in Sri Lanka, there's a there's an organization called the um, Sarvadaya. Ha! I should have practiced that out loud. It sounded better in my head. Sarvodaya Foundation which helps Sri Lankans in their war-torn and, uh, and challenged country. And it's based on principles of Buddha and principles of Gandhi. And people come from all around the world to work with this organization, to volunteer there, just to observe what's going on. And so every day, hundreds of, of volunteers and workers um, and, and visitors share lunch in their canteen. And their canteen, I want to read a description of it here. In the canteen, foreigners are treated differently from the native Sri Lankans. Got that? They're treated differently. To summarize the differences, foreigners, visitors, and workers eat from china plates. Sri Lankans eat from wide, shallow bowls made of metal. Foreigners get served at a special table reserved for them. Sri Lankans eat at all the other tables. 
Foreigners are served family style from platters of food. Generally, they have twice as much food available as any human being could possibly eat. Which is to say, if you're at a table for six, you usually have enough food for 12. Sri Lankans get their food by going to the kitchen door where they are given a plate heaped with rice and all the same curries that are found on the foreigners' tables. If they are still hungry after eating their first serving, they simply go back to the kitchen door for another plate of food. And the author of this book, uh, Sharif Abdullah, this is uh, the book Creating a World That Works for All, which is a fabulous book. I highly recommend this. says, after observing this system carefully, I came to the conclusion that it provided the best way to serve a large group of people representing different cultures, different gastronomic capacities and tastes, and different eating styles and habits. Some Westerners, especially Americans who have been through diversity training, see things differently. They loudly protest the privileges of having more food, china plates, and table service. A few, totally disregarding Sri Lankan culture and courtesy, will try to get their food in the kitchen line, which confuses everybody. Because it is a Sri Lankan custom to offer abundant food and hospitality to guests, the Americans who try to be culturally correct will still find a china plate and generous servings waiting for them after they have stood in line for a Sri Lankan plate. I remind the Western guests who want to reject their perceived privileges in food distribution that the system works for the Sri Lankans, and they're in Sri Lanka. It works because of three principal factors. Number one, enoughness. Everyone has enough, even though resources are not shared equally. No one in the canteen walks out hungry. Number two, exchangeability. Trading places would be okay. If foreigners and Sri Lankans swap places in the canteen, no one would feel deprived. The Sri Lankans forced to eat from China plates would be okay about it. The Westerners compelled to line up at the kitchen door for their food would make no complaint. Exchangeability, by the way, does not mean everyone would like or prefer the change. It means people would not feel they were being punished or stigmatized or unjustly rewarded by the change. And then the third benefit or third criterion is common benefit. The system is designed and intended to benefit all. No one is harmed by the system. Everyone benefits, even though some Westerners may not grasp this. If everyone has enough, if trading places would be okay, and if the system has been designed to benefit everyone, we have created something powerful, a world that works for all. Sameness and its companion fairness, by the way, which is another thought, is about my way. If we want everybody to be the same, whose version of same is it? Mine, right. You should all be like me. Of course, I should be like you and what you think I should do. So sameness is about my way. Fairness is about my way. You've heard that the world is not fair, right? Because there's so many versions of what's fair. Whose is the right version? Mine, yeah. So what works for all is recognition of multiple ways and being open and curious, not right. Right. 
So let's look at a goal, a purpose. If we're going to start to shift the world, we need to have a purpose, right? Yes? So how about this? To create an inclusive human society on a habitable planet, a society that works for all humans and all non-humans, where there's fulfillment for those at the top of society and at the bottom, even though resources may not be evenly spread, everyone has enough. Anyone could trade places with anyone else without feeling deprived or oppressed. And the society is essentially beneficial and healing for humans and non-humans alike. Would that be a good goal? Would that be something we could hold in consciousness and start to work for? Yes. See, sometimes we have to give up our ideas of everybody has to be, quote, equal and the same. For saying, is everybody getting what they need? Is everybody getting what works for them? See, I own, as many of you know, a little Miata sports car. Guess what? I love that car. Guess what else? For many of you, that car wouldn't work for you, would it? If I was still married with a couple of kids, that car wouldn't work for me. Would it? No. So should everybody drive a Mazda Miata because I do? No. Should everybody drive a big four-wheel drive pickup because somebody else does? No. What works for each of us, what works for each of us culturally is different. And so to be willing to say, what is it that works? And can I set up and be participating in a culture where there is enough for everyone? And that each person, I, could I drive a pickup? Yeah, I could. I have. Could somebody else drive the Miata? If I let them. <laughs> or a Miata? Sure. We could be interchanged without feeling stifled. <clears throat> Kareem Abdul-Jabbar might feel a little stifled in my car, especially if the top was up. But other than that, okay. so let's look at a couple of ideas here. The idea of exclusivity and inclusivity, because these are the kind of two poles that we work with, that we operate from. So exclusivity is based on separation consciousness. And it's, as, as Buffy so well said in the prayer, standing on the hose. It says that I am separate from you. And I am separate from the planet. And I am separate from everything else. Exclusivity in itself isn't bad. There are times we want it. Sharif gave the idea of somebody doing surgery on you. You don't want them to think they're operating on themselves or the oneness of all. They want you, you know, you would like them to be aware that they're an exclusive individual operating on another exclusive individual yourself, right? Yes, there's times that exclusivity is a good thing. It's not necessarily inherently bad, but when we're stuck in that, when we're imprisoned in that as our only way of perceiving and acting in the world, then there's a challenge. It has a companion belief also that there is not enough. There's exclusivity, there's not enough. And both winners and losers in the exclusivity system tend to believe that the world is limited and can only work for a few. It's based on distrust. 
Inclusivity recognizes our inherent oneness. Ernest Holmes says all individuality merges into universality. All forms are rooted in one common creative mind, and the spirit of God is the spirit of man. Bill Nye, the science guy, puts it a little bit differently. And I'm going to preface this by saying there's one little slightly racy comment in here, so if you're not if racy comments aren't okay with you, put your fingers in your ears and I'll wave when we're done. <laughs> he says, we are all one race. The only difference is the color of our skin, and that comes from how close your ancestors lived to the equator or at high altitudes like Tibetans. If a Papua, Papua New Guinean gets together with a Swede, the result will be a human. <laughs> if a Japanese woman jumps an African man, the result will be... A human. There have always been tribes, but what we have to appreciate now is that we live in a global community and tribal loyalties are not relevant to our future. Isn't that powerful? We're all one race. We're all one race. We've broken up into tribes. A number of you are aware that, most of you are probably aware that 50-ish years ago, China moved into Tibet and said, we're going to modernize your culture. And we say, how dare they? Free Tibet. Support the, the freedom of Tibet. Some of you may not be quite so aware that around that same time, Russia, followed by America, moved into the Middle East and said, we're going to liberate you from your ancient ways and bring you up to modern culture. But none of us says free Afghanistan or free Iraq, do we? Take a breath. Some of us maybe do. It's based on you have to be my way. You have to live my way. My way is the right way. My way is the right way for me. And by the way, is my way always evolving? I'm usually, I hope so. My way is always shifting. Your way is always shifting. As we, as we evolve, as we grow, we do different things. So inclusivity recognizes also that there is enough here right now. We have enough food on this planet to feed everybody. It's not a food production problem, it's a food distribution problem that we experience. It's a fresh water, Danny. I heard, I know Danny and, and Carol work for Friendly Waters for the World, and it's a, it's a distribution of safe sanitary water and a learning process for how to maintain that. We recognize that the world of inclusivity is achievable right now. It's not someday in the future when. It's achievable right now. We have to get our foot off the hose, thank you for that metaphor, Buffy, and let it flow. What needs to shift to allow the world of inclusivity, inclusivity to appear is a change of heart. In the song that they were singing, We Are a New World Family, it was 
I give you my love and I receive your love. I change, I shift from my heart, from my head to my heart. And that shifting to our heart leads to changes in our priorities and our systems. We can create a world where there is enough, where there is exchangeability, where there is common benefit. But it takes compassion, it takes heart, and it takes imagination. It takes us thinking differently than we have thought in the past. It takes us being willing to rethink how we are in the world, right? How am I in the world? See, there's a corporation out there that I think is one of the most oppressive oppressive corporations, and they make my favorite, they, they bought out the company that makes my favorite lime bars. And for the last couple of years, I haven't bought those lime bars because of that company. And I will not contribute to their running the world. They go into countries, they buy up the water system, then they sell the water back to the people that was naturally already theirs, and things like that. Being willing to rethink how we live doesn't have to be... Wow, that's early. Doesn't have to be painful or depriving, however. In fact, it can be life-enhancing. Because it is ultimately, when we're creating something that works for all, it's life-enhancing for all, including us. There's a woman named Buffy Finkel. She's sitting right there. Who's a fabric artist in town. And she's sharing a story, and I have permission to share the story from her. That last winter, she was, or last November, December, she was feeling sort of creatively stifled. Wasn't feeling juice. And finally, somewhere around the beginning of the year, she realized that she was no longer willing to participate in the fabric industry, the fashion industry, the manufacture of textiles, all that stuff, because it's one of the top five polluting industries in the world. And she wasn't willing to participate anymore. And so she rearranged her thinking and how she does her art to use only recycled, reused materials in that. And she said that once she made that decision, it was like the the hose got opened up. And there's been this flow of creativity for her in all that she's doing. This is called living it, walking our talk, saying I'm not going to participate in that, but I'm not going to be less because of it. In fact, I'll be more because of it. What I want to invite us to do this week is to play with that, is to become conscious of how we are in the world. The first one is to pay attention to that to how you are operating in the world. Are you operating from exclusivity, not enough? And by the way, that's a very subtle conditioning that we all have. We were raised in a system that believes in and trains us to believe in not enough and exclusivity. I heard the example of somebody who walked into their first economics class in college, sat down the very first day, and the professor says, okay, this is a class in economics, which is working with the limited resources that we have in the world and how to distribute them, how to, you know, how to work with that. What's the, what's the conditioned belief there? Limited resources of the world. There is no such thing unless we believe it. So pay attention. Where am I working in that? Where is that happening in my mind? 
Where is there not enough? Where is there my way is the right way, which means that your way is the wrong way? Where is that going on? And at the same time, paying attention to inclusivity and recognizing our oneness. Where am I or where do I have the opportunity? Where do I start creating a world and a greater sense of enoughness, exchangeability, and common benefit? I want to invite you to play with those three things. Enoughness, exchangeability, and common benefit. Is what I'm doing supporting that process or working against that process? Just pay attention this week. Don't judge yourself. Don't get the big hammer out. We've all been conditioned for 30, 40, 50, 60, close to 70 and sometimes over 70 years to believe that there's not enough. Okay? So don't get the big hammer out. Just start to notice it so that you can change it. And then secondly, be willing to be open and curious about other ways that work. To notice where it would be okay if somebody else's way worked. I was supposed to be part of an organization that when they'd have meetings, they said, highest idea wins. It didn't matter who on the hierarchical chart had the idea, whether it was the president or the, or the lowest person. Um, many of you know the story of, of, um, of Emerson, who was a transcendentalist and, and met with a lot of people in the area, and he was a very highly educated uh, teacher and like that. And so Ralph Waldo Emerson and the, um, uh, the Hawthorns, Nathaniel Hawthorne family and the Alcotts, Louisa May Alcott's family and all like that, would get together on Sunday evenings and, and throw in ideas. And Emerson's handyman asked, hey, can I participate? And he said, you don't have enough education, but you can sit down the hall and listen. And eventually from down the hall kept coming these questions and these ideas, they finally said, okay, Henry David Thoreau, yes, you can join our table. That was Emerson's handyman. Highest idea wins. What's the thing that brings the highest and best vibration? It doesn't matter who suggests it. It doesn't matter which part of the tribe or which tribe suggests it. What's the highest idea? So this week, be willing to be open and curious about other ways that work. Let go of the judgment, judgment and needing to be right or superior to somebody else. Other people might have, even if you're an expert, other ideas that might work. I've had that happen in my life. Once. <laughs> and practice compassion, working with your heart more than your head. Working with your heart in relation with people more than your head. Would you be willing to do those two? Pay attention and being open this week? Play with that. I'm going to close with a quote from Sharif Abdullah. He says, a world that works for all. By the way, he, I'm, I want to back up for just a moment. He gives a, an example of how this works. He was sitting in his office having a meeting one time when this and he's, he's African-American. And he said this African-American man walked in and said, do you have a quarter? Kind of held out his hand and said, do you have a quarter? And Shree said he was, you know, he was in the meeting and he's you know, go away. And he, what he saw was a poor guy looking for a handout, right? Go away. And he said the guy very gently said, open up his hand a little more and said, do you have a quarter? And he looked at the guy's hands and he had two dimes and a nickel. 
He was just asking to exchange two dimes and a nickel for a quarter. He needed a quarter for whatever vending machine or whatever he was working with. And he said it was a moment to break him out of his judgment about what he thought was going on. And that's what I invite us to do, is take that moment to to step out of when we think we know what's going on, we don't. And just be open to something new. So his quote is, a world that works for all is one where our mundane actions, everyday actions, serve our deepest individual and collective needs. In such a world, the possibility of the beautiful and the sublime exists because we have taken care of the ordinary. The possibility of the beautiful and the sublime exists because we have taken care of the ordinary. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. If everyone has all they need for food, shelter, and clothing, they can start to do something more. How can we support everyone having food, shelter, and clothing? How can we support everyone having enough? Drinking water, home, something that supports them. It's why I support organizations like the Interfaith Works here that do support people in having homes and not just having a place to stay, but also helping them to build lives that work beyond that. Because that's what I look at. I don't hand money to every person who's standing on a street corner with a sign. I give my money to places that are helping to to create more empowered lives. And I encourage you to do the same. To look at how can I create a world that truly works for all, not just gets by, not just feeds others, not enough, but can I have your little bit? None of that. Take a breath. Let's pray. And so knowing that there is one presence, there is only one. There's only one life. That life expresses in multiplicity, and yet there's still one life. Just one. And all of us, everyone, everything, is one of that. We are all connected. And so I speak my word that this week, this community, this community, each person here, each person who hears this as a podcast, every one of us takes this knowing of our oneness into our lives and allows it to express more powerfully than ever before. We say yes. We get our foot off the hose. Without any blame, shame, or guilt, we just simply take our foot that was conditioned to be put onto that hose off that hose and let it flow so that there is enoughness, so that there is the opportunity to easily exchange if that needs to be, and there is a benefit to all that we support that system, that process, that expression, because that is the nature of God. The teacher Jesus said, love God with your whole heart and love your neighbor as, not like or pretty good, as yourself. And so we practice that love, recognizing that we and our neighbor are indeed one, all of us one of God. It's really the same thing. It's really the same law. 
And so we love. We give love. We open to receive love because it is constantly being given. We say yes to that flow of spirit through us, and then we let that infect the rest of the culture around us. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for each of us who has the courage and the willingness to step out of our normal way of doing things, our sameness, and open to something greater and bigger. And I'm grateful for all the benefit and blessing that comes from this for ourselves and for everyone else around us and for on into the future of humanity because we are pioneers. We say yes, and so it is.